we have gophers in Ojai. So I have to plant in wire baskets. It's a war. It is. I have tried to be humane. I was once told, just plant enough for you and for the gophers. But I have learned that gophers are too much like humans. There is never enough. I'm from here. Here's the story. Welcome back to the Townies Podcast. I am Kim Maxwell, and I am a townie. I am a townie who loves other people's stories. I teach a weekly writing and performance workshop here in my ridiculously small fishbowl of a town nestled in the foothills of Ventura County. And for 25 years, the raw and vulnerable musings of my brilliant and courageous students have sent me home filled with hope. Some of my beloved students are seasoned professionals. Some have never even been on a stage before. But there they are, up in front of a live audience, flinging themselves and their brand new words into the abyss. Their reward? They have been heard. They matter. Their words matter. And the audience? Well, they have just officially been granted permission to do the same to go out there somewhere and take a big old risk. And that is the sacred exchange between terrified storyteller and gracious audience member. Permission. I love people's stories because stories are what connect us. This is the Townies Podcast. Welcome to the neighborhood. Episode 28, Keep Calm and Try Not to Look Nauseous. Kicking off this week's episode, Suffering Succotash, written and performed by Doug Green. Doug recently relocated to San Diego, at least for the time being, to spend some quality time with family. Well, San Diego is one lucky city to have this southern twangin', word-slingin', mini-cooper-driving activist in their midst. We'll be keeping your seat warm till you get back. (laughs) Rumi says, the thing you seek is seeking you. But what if the thing that's seeking you has its fist balled up and is seeking to leave a mark? What does that say? (laughs) Do you ever get the idea that things are unraveling at a dizzying pace these days? If you're super evolved, and I'm assuming you are because this is Ojai, you're probably thinking, you're probably thinking that the national political train wreck and the state of civil discourse and the general decline in the use of turn signals is unfolding perfectly. (laughs) Or in the parlance of the super hip, It's all good. (laughs) This works for the personal, too. It's the approach I take to the decline of my 15-year relationship. I think the separate rooms, the stony silence, and the suffering are all of a piece with everything else that's going on in our world, possibly connected to the legalization of gay marriage. (laughs) And I have every reason to believe that legalization may have been the kiss of death. 
the chorus of you're just like everybody else may have been just what we needed to push us right over the edge. We are just as fucked up as everybody else. These are my musings this evening as I consider the missing button on my favorite green worsted wool sweater from Barney's. What kind of karma is this? How did I manifest this missing button? Can the hole there where once attached to the sweater ever be filled? I have a strong sense that the missing button is so much more than a missing button. <laughs> that the hole there suggests something more that's missing in my life, some essential and unfillable hole in my soul. Oh. <laughs> I just got in from Washington, D.C., or as I like to say, the city under siege. You see it there, government workers, dark suits, walking around in a daze, muttering to themselves. There is this underlying angst among the locals, 98% of whom voted for Hillary. They are nervous like the rest of us, understandably, and yet their angsty confusion is like the wood grain alcohol version of distilled stupefaction. <laughs> they do not appear to be going with the flow. For them, it's all good does not apply. I'm visiting clients in DC and extend for a few days to spend time with one of my besties, Eddie, trying to escape my California reality and hoping that what's seeking me didn't follow me there. Bam, I'm back in my old stomping grounds again. Eddie and I worked together there in the 1980s, the days of trickle-down Reaganomics, mm -hmm. Just Say No, and the heyday of punk that was celebrated most feverishly at a place called the 930 Club on F Street. Back then, it wasn't certain which was more dangerous, the slam dancing and stage diving at the 930 Club or the block and a half walk over from the metro station. <laughs> the 930 Club has since moved to seedier digs, now that F Street's been gentrified and hosts trendy bistros and retailers like H&M and Zara, right across the street from the old 930 Club is this new southern mansion of a place, Succotash. Succotash has this nice wide front porch with these Corinthian columns straight out of antebellum Mississippi. Succotash, which is just the most fabulous word, don't you think? actually refers to a mix of lima beans and corn and other random ingredients, but the constants are corn and lima beans, which most people hate, but I love. Succotash is our destination last Wednesday night. Eddie finds these exciting new places like Succotash because his one goal in life is that everyone, man, woman, and child, will love the district with the dedication that he loves the district which is to say everyone needs to take a pair of scissors to the style section of the post and start clipping articles about interesting new restaurants, concerts, and art <laughs> openings because this city is where Eddie's heart lives. We meet there for dinner. We're dressed casually for Washington, but nicely in matching khakis and button-downs and cardigans. <laughs> when I arrive late, which is my custom, Eddie is already having a glass of Pinot Grigio and fully engaged in a conversation about the restaurant chef, Edward Lee of Louisville's Magnolia fame, with the guys at the next table and our server, Tanya. Tanya is a junior health sciences major at Howard. <laughs> also came here from Louisville. She talks about how the subtle flavors of the succotash and how the spices don't overwhelm but uplift the uh, vegetables. I laugh, imagining my brother Hal's eye roll 
in hearing all this fuss about succotash, which as native southerners we have a certain claim on, and Hal's case, a license to hate. <laughs> Being adventurous, I get the ribs, the collards, and of course, the succotash. I like my vegetables the way I like my people, all mixed up in a big pile with the various colors just accentuating each other and bringing out the distinctive flavors. Because let's face it, lima beans, like certain straight white guys, uh, <laughs> present company excluded, should not be served on their own. They need the company. They need the company of the corn to make them sweet. And the edamame adds both mystery and texture. Without them, the lima beans dissolve into a grainy paste in your mouth, and you're tempted to remark that they're doing the most amazing things with tile grout these days. During the meal, the chef makes his rounds, and Succotash is this huge place with a main dining room the size of a basketball court, two stories with these two huge chandeliers, big wrap-around wrought iron balcony with tables all around. He smiles graciously at everyone, but it's a thin cover for a level of stress that only someone who's just opened a restaurant would have. Sensing that, I get right to the point of the conversation, which is the part where I ask him to sign the post article about the restaurant before he moves on to the handsome young British couple at the next table. Being with Eddie, you are never a stranger in the District of Columbia. He makes friends with everyone, a trait that I've always admired but never really mastered. Leaving the restaurant, we say thanks and good luck to everyone who's not seated at a table, even a few pearl-clad matrons on their way to the ladies' room, ending with the massive maitre d' Louis just before we step onto the great columned front porch of Succotash, a few steps above F Street and into the cool evening air. I am loving that I have my favorite green cardigan from Barney's. In retrospect, I think that since I recently lost 10 pounds, it might swallow me whole, but standing there in that elegant setting, I delude myself with the thought that it brings out my natural color <laughs> and accentuates my contourage. Anyway, Eddie, ever the architectural historian, is pointing out the changes that have been made to the buildings across the street since I was last engaged in slam dancing at the 930 Club some 30 years ago. See there! how they preserved those federal period facades and built that condominium behind. <laughs> that is what zoning will do and a good architectural review process. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm loaded down with this ginormous shopping bag of leftover ribs and collards and succotash. <laughs> anyway, suffice it to say, I'm trying to listen to Eddie, wondering if we have Tums back at the apartment, and <laughs> seriously questioning the utility of this huge bag of extra food. I'm sure I have that slightly distracted look that's become my trademark. <laughs> you guys have seen it earlier tonight. is all too familiar to Eddie, and so he raises his voice and says, well, what do you think about the neighborhood? It's not lost, even in these dark times, right? <coughs> Which is exactly when three nicely dressed college-age guys speed up to us on those yellow bikes that they rent out at stations throughout the capital. They do a couple of quick 360s in front of us, and one of them calls out, hey, can you give me your phone so I can call my mom? <laughs> <laughs> I do a quick assessment. 
these guys have cell phones. <laughs> Bullshit alert. No. Eddie, on the other hand, continues his lecture on the historic preservation and revitalization of F Street. He looks every bit the urbane president of the local historical society. He's got this wide forehead, wild gray locks, and prosperous pink cheeks. He's the poster child for preservation. Nothing, not even attractive college guys on bikes can distract him. And he continues to explain the improvements in the neighborhood, averting his eyes upward and ignoring the second request coming from yet another of the guys on the yellow bikes. Hey, can I use your cell phone to call my mom? And I'm like, <laughs> no, not happening. Which causes this one to pull up next to where I'm standing on the steps of the Secatash porch. And he's like less than two feet from my face when he asks, what did you say? I look at him straight in the eye. This is perhaps the longest conversation I've had with somebody on the street in Washington, D.C. And I say, I said no. Which is when he hauls off and socks me in the jaw with his 20-something testosterone-fueled mic, causing my whole brain to rattle around in my skull and my ears to ring like a <laughs> I am so surprised this rather pretty young college kid with the nice teeth and the beautiful skin has just clocked me. So I do what any self-respecting homo with a strong desire for self-preservation, a damaged danger radar, and rapid onset migraine would do. I smash him squarely across the face with the leftovers. <laughs> Not actually hurting him, but showering him with the succotash collars and greasy ribs. That pisses him off. He is off that bike in a nanosecond and charging at me. His arms and fists are blur like the blades on a lawnmower and they're coming dangerously close to hitting my face again, which I'm avoiding at all costs by climbing back up the stairs. <laughs> Eddie is ahead of the game. I think we should go back into the restaurant and call an Uber. Just as the kid overtakes me at the top of the stairs to the porch and there's nothing for me to do at that point but turn and engage. Okay, we're about the same height, but he's like 20 something. So he's got speed on me. I've seen those worrying fists. The only way I'm going to win is by using my advantages, strategy, strength, and the secret knowledge that I throw up quite easily when provoked. <laughs> anyway, I managed to turn, pull the assailant into an awkward hug, and slam him up against the nearest wall. But as soon as I shift the energy into the hands to knock his rather pretty face into the wall, he pushes past me, but I am not done. I tackle him and pin him to the porch of Succotash. His friend, the original, give me your cell phone so I can call my mom guy, is now behind me, pulling me by my big green cardigan. And that pisses me off, because I know this is gonna require a washing in cold water light and a blocking on the kitchen counter. Fortunately, Louis, the giant maitre d', is there on the scene now, separating people into categories, aging gays on this side, thugs on this side. But not before a button is torn from the green sweater in an angry gesture by assailant number one as his last act before fleeing the scene with his friends. 
And that is pretty much a textbook definition of adding insult to injury. <laughs> I retreat to the men's room and dab at the blood that's trickling down a wound above my eye, watch the whole fucking thing again on the video surveillance system in the basement of the restaurant, and get some positive attention from a DC police officer, kind of <laughs> and a high five. Hey, you gave as good as you got, dude. <laughs> Which is some consolation. But I wonder how did it come to this, this unraveling? Would this ruptured friendship, once so important to me, ever be knit back together? I have the thought that this missing button on my beautiful green sweater is so much more than a missing button, that the hole there where the button should be begs the question of whether something more is missing in my life, some essential and unfillable hole in my soul. Rumi says, the thing you seek is seeking you, but what if the thing that's seeking you has its fist balled up and is seeking to leave a mark? What does that mean? And that was Doug Green. Next up, Trying Not to Grab Moss, written and performed by Simone Berkovitz. Though Simone is new to my class and the Townies podcast, you may have heard her mother Jeanette and her brother Andrew in previous episodes. Simone is a warm, kind, gentle, delightful soul with a boundless love for the outdoors and all it has to offer. Simone Berkowitz is a consultant slash conservation planner slash analyst slash project manager for Environmental Action Corps, EAC, making big things possible. <laughs> That's what my LinkedIn says. Because we are all our LinkedIn headline, right? Oh, what does that all mean? Well, I work on implementing HCPs slash NCCPs under the ESA to comply with both the US FWS Section 6 Act CWA Section 101-401, working with the IC committee agencies to one day preserve the Keystone Species Lands under the SCVHA. <laughs> well, not anymore. Because I come back from a working honeymoon in Brazil with my boyfriend, to be greeted by HR with a, glad you had a nice time working remotely. Welcome back to America. You're fired. Oh. Well, they didn't actually say fired. It was more of a, there's no longer enough budget for your position kind of thing. I was supposed to work on a climate change mitigation project, but then fucking Trump defunded <laughs> everything with climate change in the name because Global warming is an expensive hoax. Oh, and on my last day of work was also the last day I saw my boyfriend. Apparently, he needed to walk his nomadic software engineering journey alone. <laughs> so I cried in the courtyard next to the fountain where I 
ate my Tupperware salad lunch every day for the last three years. And then I wiped my tears for goodbye drinks with my fellow coworkers. Cheers to being dumped and fired on the same day. Also, I stole the office tree when I left. <laughs> I didn't really steal it. Nick Jonas said I could have it. No, not that Nick Jonas. Senior project manager at EAC from my office, Nick Jonas. But then the stupid office services manager, Larry, wanted it back. But I had already moved and I couldn't bring it back and he made me call into the all-hands staff meeting and apologize for stealing the tree. <laughs> Which, yeah, it was pretty awful. Um, but I wasn't actually sorry, and so I didn't take it back. So I guess I stole it. Maybe my LinkedIn should just say, Simone Berkovitz, tree thief, making big things possible. <laughs> I found out that you died in a rock climbing accident through a text. Then someone posted a Facebook event for a celebration of your life. Wow. 200 people from our college class gathered to remember you in a small stuffy bar. What are you up to these days? Where are you working? What's your favorite memory with her? It was overwhelming and sort of like networking, but it was really beautiful to see all the people who loved you. Mostly, I just wish you had been there though. I busied myself trying to be helpful to avoid saying the wrong thing. Everyone shared photos on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat. I, I did look through all of them but the only ones I have are of you climbing, so I didn't post anything. I still think about you every day. I was looking through our pictures, your smile beaming in every photo. I can hear your laugh as if you're still with us, but I know you're not. It was just a freak accident, they said. You felt no pain, they said, but that's a lie. I can't stop thinking about pain, how much your boyfriend loved you and how he's dealing with the hole in his heart and life. Your family, sister who just got married, your closest friends who were there when it happened. Living with the pain of what could have been it's confusing. I don't know how to frame it. I just saw you. I saw you and your boyfriend walking by my office and I didn't say I. I just, I'm just not sure where to go from here. Am I supposed to just take it as a reminder? Life is fragile and move on. Post a photo on Facebook with a heart emoji, send a condolence card and move on. <clears throat> Back to work, keep ourselves busy, distract ourselves from the pain. If it's a family member, you can take three days of PTO. If it's not your best friend, it's probably better to just say you're sick. 
I try to write and talk about death, and my throat feels tight. I scribble lines on the page. I had a meltdown in yoga class the other day. <laughs> and on the street with my neighbors when my car alarm went off. And at Trader Joe's in the frozen food section by the pot stickers. <laughs> I moved home. Sometimes I feel a little claustrophobic. But I can cuddle my dog and my mom cooks amazing food and it's home. Um, I've been going to meditation class with my dad. I'm hiking, surfing, actually trying to rock climb again, but trying not to grab onto moss. I'm still freaking out. I don't know what I'm doing with my life, but I think some progress has been made. The pain isn't just going to go away, so I'm trying. I think healing is a process. I had a dream the other night, and all I can remember is springing off the ground, leaping to the top of giant redwood trees, flying up past El Capitan, down into Yosemite Valley, soaring past Half Dome, up into Tuolumne Meadows, the mist on my face, <clears throat> breathing in the crisp mountain air, and I see you there, smiling on the side of Cathedral Peak. We just heard from Simone Berkowitz. So much 
Shelby Figueroa with Wildflowers from her fabulous EP Highwire. To learn more about the music and performers featured on the Townies Podcast, please visit thetowniespodcast.org. Wrapping up this week's episode, 30, written and performed by Sarah Hardigan. Patagonia collaborating genius by day and bringing the house down with her stand-up comedy routines by night, Sarah is a well-dressed, well-spoken, hilarious grammar queen who brings her all to everything she does. We are driving through the desert with our bounty of crystals, each picked precisely for a cause. Rose quartz for love, citrine for creative inspiration, celestite for connection to a higher power. Hey, my friend yells over the music. Pretty soon we're going to start peeing ourselves like when we laugh or cough too hard. I do a complete 180 and meet her eyes in the back seat. She's serious. <laughs> Don't worry, she says. 
I have the solution. It's called the jade egg. It used to only be available to empresses and queens, but now you can buy them on Amazon. You practice holding it up there in your vagina using your pelvic floor muscles, and it keeps everything lifted and strong. A little workout for your yoni. <laughs> what other tiny muscles have I been unwittingly neglecting? Is my body going to just give up like the elastic in my high school gym shorts did? They're not even shorts anymore. At best, they're an ankle blanket. I'm edging up on my 30th birthday and I want to tell you that I'm on a quest for deeper meaning, that I'm poking at my spirit with a talking stick, but all I can think about is gravity and I'm seriously considering the ramifications of a weak vagina. <laughs> is this 30? When I get home, I energetically clear my crystals and start asking around about the jade egg. How many of my friends are secretly working their pelvic floors? Who has the strongest vagina? I find a blog titled, Things I Lift With My Vagina. In the cover photo, she's lifting a surfboard. A surfboard that is tied to a jade egg that she's holding with her vagina. She's throwing up the hang-loose symbol with both hands, presumably to prove she's not using her hands. I'm glad I decided not to Google that on my work computer. I go out to coffee with a friend and I bring up the jade egg because it's on my mind. Yes, she's heard of it. Yes, she uses it. She tells me that one time she forgot it was in, went to the grocery store, and it popped out when she was bending down to grab some hemp milk. Did anyone notice, I guess? No, she said casually. You laid an egg in a grocery store and nobody noticed? Is this 30? I'm at the dentist having my teeth cleaned because I'm turning 30 and that is just what you do. The hygienist gives me a hand mirror. Do you see those two little holes in your teeth? I say, yeah, what are those? She says, they're holes. Why do I have holes in my tooth? I say as a large amount of drool pours out of my mouth. We're not really sure. It could be the position of your tongue or how you chew or your teeth are just wearing out because you're older. Is this 30? The next morning I go to Pilates with a friend. I sweat and I squeeze and I pinch and I throb and it's over and I feel pretty accomplished. I'm on my way out the door when the instructor stops me. Hey, Sarah. I think you have scoliosis. <laughs> another woman chimes in. Oh yeah, another woman chimes in. Oh yeah, it looks like one of your legs is shorter than the other. <laughs> A third lady adds, oh, and one of your shoulders is higher than the other one. Everyone nods in agreement. <laughs> yeah, the instructor says confidently, you're gonna have severe back pain when you're older. Namaste. <laughs> Is this 30? Another friend is turning 30. Andrew, the guy I've been dating, and I go to a party. We get back to my house. I try to unlock my door. I am wine drunk. My key sticks. We finally get in. He crashes out, but I decide to pull a card from my wild, unknown animal spirit deck. I ceremoniously rub a random crystal and feel around for the right card. 
I pull a fucking unicorn. Magical, mystical, sensitive creature. It says, reconnecting to a higher wisdom. Woo! I, I pretend I have a rainbow horn and prance around the room until I get nauseous. I decide to call it the Great Unicorn Purge of 2017 because I throw up no less than nine times. Is this 30? When I wake up, I immediately apologize to Andrew for the unicorn purge. He says, he says, no, that was fine. I say, what, what wasn't fine? He says, oh, nothing. Did I talk in my sleep again, I say? I don't want to embarrass you, he says. Andrew, I have had night terror since I was four. I have army crawled across my disgusting dorm room carpeted floor, dodging imaginary dream bullets. I have looked for cops under my bed, and I have even walked around on my front lawn in my underwear yelling, who cut my hair off? <laughs> Andrew, tell me what I said. You threw off the covers, jumped out of bed, waved your hands around and yelled, we have to pick the kids up at the pool. <laughs> for a short time and now he thinks in my subconscious somewhere I'm planning our wedding and naming our first three kids. My sleep self has outed me for feelings I don't even have yet. It's like she's pushing some kind of biological agenda. Am I going to start proposing in my sleep? What if my sleep self gets really aggressive about this whole baby making scheme? This is fucked up. <laughs> is this 30? <laughs> I am texting my therapist when it finally hits me. Oh my god, my sleep self wasn't pushing a biological agenda. That morning I was sitting around discussing different funny ways to talk about vacating one's bowels. In this conversation, I mentioned one of my all-time favorite ways of talking about defecating, and it is, I'm going to drop the kids off at the pool. <laughs> <laughs> drops the call. <laughs> oh, sweet Jesus, is this 30? <laughs> the night after I turn 30, I have this dream. I walk into my brother's old bedroom. The wallpaper is there, as it always was, on three of the four walls, a map of the world, one blank wall, presumably to build his own world. I turn to exit the room, and as I walk out, I am handed a package that says Ireland in black Sharpie. I wanted to open the package from Ireland, but I woke up before I could. In the days that follow, I do some research online and I find a historical document about my Irish family. They lived up in the hills of the countryside until they were bribed with a plot of land to come down and populate the town of Tipperary. This gift and stumbled upon good fortune enraged the townsfolk. They threw rocks and God knows what else until one night, I quote, my family invited everyone over for some special drink and dancing and then everything was fine. Everything was fine. I breathe in those words as I read, some special drink. I smell herbs and spells. I smell magic. My great-grandfather became a much sought-after healer. My great-grandmother let her hair grow long and silver like all of the great Celtic witches before her. I think of the unicorn card I pulled the night of the purge, magical, mystical, sensitive creature. The unicorn reminds us to reconnect to a higher wisdom and divinity. 
I don't care how many surfboards I can lift with my vagina or how many holes I have in my teeth. I want more than the jade egg. I want to grow my hair long and silver. I am ready to reconnect to my higher divinity and open the dream parcel to claim what my ancestors have been holding for me all along. This, this is 30. And that was Sarah Hardigan, telling it like it is. I'm from here, here's the story. Please join us every other Tuesday for a new round of freshly minted stories. I am Kim Maxwell of Kim Maxwell Studio, and we teach people to launch their stories loudly and unapologetically into the world, to laugh more, risk more, and have bigger lives. The Townies Podcast is co-produced by Lily Brown, Asa Larmonth, and Ken Eros. Studio engineering and mixing by Eros Creative and Sound. The Townies theme song was written and performed by Rain Perry, recorded and mixed by Martin Young, and mastered by Mark Hallman at the Congress House. The Townies podcast is in part made possible by a generous grant from the Ojai Arts Commission and the City of Ojai, a small town with big stories. You can find out more about us at thetowniespodcast.org. Thank you for listening. to say I only heard my dad drop the F-bomb once and he did it when we didn't think we were home. My sister and I were there and he knocked over a vase full of flowers and water into the stereo and I just heard him go. <laughs> he, I think he said, he, think he, he definitely said fuck but I also think because my mother was German and so he used to try to like pretend like he would speak German. <laughs> he said something along the lines of like Scheisen von Schitzen, which it, it doesn't mean anything. <laughs>